0: what really gets my dick hard is
1: Welcome to Metal Up Your Podcast Radio. I am your host, Clint Wells, and I am stuck in a hotel room somewhere in Washington State near the great city of Seattle. And I have a few hours to kill in a hotel room, so I figured I would record another uh, radio episode for you guys. For those of you who may be joining us for the first time and have no idea what this bullshit is, uh, this is a bonus episode. We usually put these out once or twice a month, and uh, they're ancillary to our. Actual episodes, which are every Monday, in all Metallica podcast in which my co host Ethan and I talk every corner and facet, nook and cranny of the mighty Metallica. These little bonus episodes are a chance to discover new music, talk about different kinds of music. There's, of course, heavy stuff, there's some not heavy stuff, there's some sad, evocative shit, and there's some fun, bouncy shit. And uh, really, what this is is like, I know that, like many of you out there, I myself have a collective music taste. I like a lot of different kinds of music. And I like turning people on to new music. And so this is, for those of you who miss being able to just lock into an hour-long curated, guided tour of tunes. I'm currently patenting this as I'm saying it. Uh, This hour is for you. And I hope you'll enjoy the ride. I've got some questions I am going to answer from Instagram and Twitter. I put that out there today, and uh, they're piling up as I speak right now. But for now, let's listen to uh, one of my favorite bands of the last few years, a UK band called Wolf Alice. And take it from me, folks, you're going to want to turn this shit up. is no joke and hearing young people make music like that makes me very excited about the future of heavy music and hard music Uh, they clearly either don't know many of the rules about songwriting or they just don't give a shit Um, I discovered that band I used to do this thing on Instagram when I was touring uh, where I would ask all my Instagram followers just to let me know what their favorite song was whatever it was whether it was a guilty pleasure a classic or something new it's in that moment in in any given moment maybe it's a week or a month or maybe it's even a day for you folks out there some song in the world is your favorite song it may change and it may change that afternoon but for a moment at all times you have a favorite song and it's cool to think about what that might be maybe it's dancing queen by abba
0: you are the-
1: Maybe it's some swallow-the-entrails bullshit by Cannibal Corpse. I don't know. But I would ask everyone, what's your favorite song? Let me know. And I would make a giant Spotify playlist, and then I would then share that. And, you know, invariably have like 100 songs on it. And so I would just sit on the bus or sit in the van or wherever on a plane, wherever I was traveling, put on some sunglasses, put in my headphones, and uh, just go down the rabbit hole. And, you know, I didn't love everything everyone submitted, but someone did submit this song by Wolf Alice. It wasn't the one I just played you. It was a song called Bros, Like You're My Bro, which is another wonderful song. I might play that on a future episode, but I heard Bros, and I thought,
0: uh, I like it.
1: And then I somehow randomly went to the iTunes page, or maybe I YouTubed them, and the second song I heard was Giant Peach, and I thought, okay, well, well, buying that record, now I'm a fan of that band, Wolf Alice. I don't know what a Wolf Alice is. It sounds like maybe some sort of UK um, sexually transmitted disease. All right. Got a little bit of the Wolf Alice, did you? Yeah. was having a little bit too much fun. Put my knickers down. Caught full on case of the wolf Alice. Is that what Tom has? Hello and hi, and welcome to yet another edition of Alpha Metallica. Uh, we missed last week's episode, we want to thank you for your patience. Uh, I came down with a hopping case of the wolf Alice. Right, jumped right in me pants. I was running around the garden with a bunch of wolf Alice in me pants. Yep. Yeah have to wait for it just solve it. it's better left unsolved solves itself really okay <laughs> the wolf that, was. that was from a record called uh, uh my love it's cool and uh that was 2015 i believe now moving right along here on the great journey the great journey is a, a band that i've loved for a long time they have a great new record out now called eat the elephant i'm talking of course about the Maynard james keenan not so side project perfect cycle I'm not going to play you a song from their new record, although I love that record a lot. It's a really wonderful album. A lot to say. It's called Eat the Elephant. I recommend getting it. This is actually from a record they put out after 13th Step, I believe. So this is maybe 04 or 05? Anyway, it was a record of covers and kind of remixes of their first two records. And it's called Emotive. It's not very good. I can't honestly say I recommend it. But buried on that record is a wonderful original song called Passive and it fucking rocks and that's why I'm going to play it for you right now so don't lose your butts over this one out my harms, which is uh, Industry Sling for Harmonies. Always got to be working on that stuff. Always working. The Cobra Kai way. I'm on the Cobra Kai way to hell. That's pretty funny. Let's check in on some of these questions on Instagram, see what's going on with everybody. Um, here we go. Oh, well, it's not pulling the uh, comments up. Here we go. Kevin Van Dam asks, are there bands that typify a particular emotion for you? Hmm. That is a good question. Um, I don't know. I think that... Um, hmm. I mean, it's real tempting to say that sad, gothy, uh, sludgy bands are for, for sad emotions. And up, um, up-tempo, happy shits for happy... I think it's a bit more complicated than that. I think you bring... To the listening table whatever you're feeling and I think any art can really can find you in different places on that. Sometimes a sad song is good to listen to when you're not sad. Sometimes when you're really sad you don't want to do anything like eat or get out of bed and you're, the soundtrack of the day becomes of little matter to you when you're in a state of depression that is truly immobilizing. But what happens is later when you're feeling a little bit better, you can listen to a sad song and you can sort of inject that experience into it and you can begin to heal. Isn't that amazing? I really believe that. Sometimes songs help you interpret how you were feeling or they make you feel less alone about it. It's a lot of groundwork you're laying for later and a lot of stuff you did before paying off. If that makes any sense. And you know, it does work in the ways that you think it might, too. Maybe you're feeling sad, you put on some happy music, makes you feel better. Yeah, that's a thing, too. I don't know of many people who are just completely overcome with joy and want to put on an Elliott Smith record so they can just be on the great seesaw of the emotional life. Usually it tends to go one way. You' sad. You need a pick me up. I will say this: I was working in Coconuts in Birmingham, Alabama. For those of you who don't know, Coconuts is a uh, a record store. But like corporate, we had to wear these yellow uniforms, and you know, we had to push the newest Nickelback CDs or whatever. But anyway, a woman came in. I was maybe it's 2004. However old I was then, I I don't know, 12. Nineteen twenty six. I don't remember. I don't. I don't know. Um, this woman came in. She looked pretty bummed. Like, you know, someone broke my heart. Sad. Kind of the wet eye. <laughs> kind of the lump in the throat vibe. And she said that her she had just found out that her husband had been cheating on her, and she wanted a record. She, she literally came to me and said, "My." She like barfed all that up on me, and I just need some music to let's do to make me feel better. And whatever was going on at that time, I remember the Maroon 5 record, Songs About Jane, was a big popular record.
2: That girl had taken control of me.
1: Getting harder and harder to breathe. That thing. And because, you know, this was a corporate music store I worked in, we had to listen to, like, whatever the hot music was. It had to always be playing in the store. And just by the virtue of that, I had heard that record, the whole goddamn thing. And, I, you know... I'm not a huge Adam Levine fan, but I'm also not a hater either. I think he's a super talented dude. I'm glad he's out there. But I did notice that that was a big old fuck you breakup record. Whoever Jane was, she done did him wrong. She don't love him no good no more. So this song's about Jane record. You know, I said, hey, I don't know much about Maroon 5, but I think that you'll like this record. She tearfully bought it. This is like out of a movie. She Tear, tearfully bought, I wrong her up, ten ninety nine. She left, and she called maybe 30 minutes ago, 30 minutes later after she split. And uh, she asked, she said, some guy recommended a Maroon 5 CD for me. Can I speak to him, please? So through various, everyone kind of figured it out. It was me, and I'm like, hello? She was in her car. I guess she'd been listening to that record for 30 or 40 minutes. And she was like, I just want you to know, this record is exactly what I needed to hear and I immediately feel better like you really picked the perfect record Um, and she was just wanting to say thank you and you know that was pretty cool that was pretty cool I think of that story all the time and good god that was just one question Um, let's go ahead and hear some more music before we answer any more of those and go down tangent highway Um, this next song is a song called The Last Lion of Albion how about that for a title by the great Nico Case, formerly of the New Pornographers, who stepped out to the great benefit of all of us to forge a solo career. This is from a new record called Hell On. And I highly recommend you uh, listening to this one. Here's the Last Line of Albion by the great Nico Case. Check it. Nico Case Last Lion of Albion I don't know what any of those lyrics mean and uh, I don't care that's one of those we talked about it before sometimes it doesn't matter what the lyrics are although I'm sure sure she went through great pains to write them I'm I'm sure that me not knowing or caring what they're about isn't the best thing she would want to hear about that Uh, let's go visit some more questions here before we move on Uh, on the old Twitter verse. Alex Bispo says, "If Robert quit Metallica, for example, if he went insane for some reason, and Jason wouldn't be willing to join, who do you think would fit them?" Oh man, hard to say. Hard to say. It'd be such a weird blow to the band, just the, the similar to Pearl Jam, just the curse of the rotating bass slot. Whereas with Pearl Jam, it's drummers. But I don't know, man. I'm not really steeped that much in the clientele of the metal bass playing community. Um, I know Rex. I know a guy named Rex Brown, formerly of Pantera. I would not want to see him join Metallica. I do not like him very much. Um, he was a great bass player for Pantera and Down, but I read his book this year and he seems like a total. He seems like a guy I don't know if I'd get along with. Um, and I don't think he has the. I don't think he has the, the personality to fit with them. Um,. I loved the idea of, of uh, the Corrosion of Conformity dude getting in there. But, you know, he's too talented. He's too talented to just play bass in that band. And I think they knew that, too. You know? Old Pepper Keenan. Um, obviously, Dave uh, Elveson. I I think he's great. A great player and a great dude. That might be fun. I'm, I'm a member of the Big Four. Tom is not going to do it. They'd probably get some homie. Some homie from testament or I don't know what they would do it might even do them in they might be like fuck this Um, I don't know that is a good question though let's see if there's another question from twitter at master of puns 13 says fixer versus the outlaw torn which one I hate I hate that they're in the ring together but I understand the question it'd be real close but uh, I think I'd have to go fixer just lyrically the depth of Fixer I resonate with more. I think there's a little bit less jammy jammerson vibes. Although I love James's swelly solo and I love the vocal melody of I'll no way my whole lifetime. For you I love all that. That's some like some cool creepy Hetfield vocal delivery stuff that I wish he would do more of. That this crystallizes perfectly in the Alatorn. But but pound for pound. I got to go with uh I got to go with fixer. Again, I do hate and resent. I resent the question. Over here on the Instagram, I'll read a few more of these. Uh Michael Grosvenor says if Metallica had imploded in 2003, how do you think that would have affected their legacy? I don't know, man. People tend to uh, when you're on top of the world, they want to bring you down, but when you crash and burn, they people like going, they were geniuses, man. You know, I think there are some artists that left us prematurely. That I wonder what kind of work they would have done. Like, you know, someone like like a Kurt Cobain kind of went out at, at a high point. And he doesn't have any bad material for you to be like, oh well, he wasn't perfect. But now that he passed away, everyone's like, oh, he was just a genius forever. He probably would have made some bad stuff. Uh, you know, I kind of shudder to think about what John Lennon might have done throughout the eighties. You know, maybe some good stuff, maybe some bad shit. I don't love everything Paul McCartney's done, but if they'd gone out no three, I don't know, they'd probably be still looked at as legends or the big, you know, the big uh, casualty tale of how how ego and drugs can bring a band down. I don't know. Needless to say, I'm happy about the current narrative, the the current reality of them staying strong and getting better and learning more and growing and still making relevant fucking amazing metal records that's pretty neato RJH75 says I love Jewel's first two records are you a fan uh yeah I, yeah I like Jewel I think she's great the only record I had was the one that had uh, like Foolish Games on it these foolish
2: games tearing me apart
1: uh I love that song. I remember the video. She's on like a weird horse. <laughs> she's, in like, she's in like an igloo on a horse. And the horse is fucking cold. <sighs> wonder what that horse is doing. I had a friend who co-wrote the song Who Will Save Your Soul with her. Which was a big hit for her. Um, Instead she, she, you know co-wrote it with her he was dating her a little bit at the time so she was just a total sweetheart the total real deal by the way I miss that because they kind of marketed her as like kind of sexy maybe or like girl next door-ish kind of like whatever but it really with her was kind of all about the music it wasn't this like be a sex icon first and then if you can hold a fucking guitar the executives will give you a bonus fuck that she could write and sing dude big yodeler Uh, You Were Meant For Me and I Was Meant For You. Great song. What's wrong with that song? Fuck you. You're not too macho for that song. It's fine. It's cool. It's a song, it's a song you want your daughter singing. You don't want your daughter singing fucking... That, what was that Iggy Azalea song called Pussy? The, the lyric is just pussy a million times. You want your kids singing that or You Were Meant For Me, I Was Meant For You. A song about monogamy and true love I know what I'm voting for fixer <laughs> anyway I don't have Jules records or anything but I have no problem with her uh, Ethan says reload sucks wow he just having a good time alright one more and then we'll get back into this uh, Do we, let's see opinion on Metallica fans who only say the first records are the best and the rest suck I think they're missing out I think it's a missed opportunity to enjoy music by your favorite band it's, of course, okay if you don't like anything after that. No problemo. I just, it's a shame. So let's get back into the music here. Uh, I was looking at my list, and I was like, "These are why do I tend to like these more esoteric, bummery songs, as I thought. And if you haven't noticed yet, the theme of this week is I'm doing a, a male artist and a female artist. Male artist, female artist. And also the other theme of songs that I like, by the way. So I was looking at the list, and the next one's a male artist, and I thought I'm having trouble putting some like up shit in here, shit that fucking rocks. And then I realized, guess what rocks? And I made it myself, a little thing called Lunar Satan. Here's the debut Lunar Satan track, entitled "We Ride the Skies" from the forthcoming, hopefully 2018 debut LP entitled "How Like a Wolf and a Witch Will Open the Door." Here's "We Ride the Skies." Enjoy. ride the skies by lunar satan For those of you who don't know that was a project where it started out as a joke on the show and uh, just the idea about it some sort of sat- satanic metal opera that takes place in space and then uh i sat down to really write it i thought why not just really write that and uh the first two songs happened real fast and it is going to be a concept record and we ride the skies is sort of uh, it's chapter one if you will the backstory here, of course, being that uh, ancient Christians found a way, through white magic, to freeze Satan in basically a giant uh, Satan-sized glacier. Satan's kind of like the size of like a dinosaur in this story. And they've frozen him and they've sent him out to beyond the Andromeda Galaxy to hopefully rid planet Earth uh, of evil forever. And... Uh, what's happened is modern day satanists and luciferianism practicing folk through various uh, incantations and spells have find, found out wh- not only where the frozen satanberg is in the uh, in outer space but ways to uh, um, to thaw him out and it's the the how like a wolf and a witch look is the story of satan's revenge not only on planet earth but throughout the entire goddamn cosmos Now, if I do the work right and get that narrative right, that is going to be one fun fucking ride. So I'm still writing it and still considering maybe doing like a Kickstarter with Paul and trying to like really record it. And uh, I think that'd be a lot of fun. Anyway, so that's Lunar Satan for you. We're also going to be pressing some Lunar Satan shirts here at some point. Uh, some questions going back to the old Twitterverse. Alex Finney, our friend, writes, Number one, what are your top three live Met performance DVDs excluding S&M? Wow. Probably uh, Cunning Stunts and then uh, the uh, Seattle 89. And then probably uh, The Neem Show. I think the Neem Show is pretty killer. Number two, thoughts on a hardwired live album? Just hardwired songs in album order. Sounds great. I'd buy it. I'd buy it and I'd listen to it. Because their live albums are sounding as good as ever these days. That Webster Hall album sounds fucking amazing. That version of Moth is amazing. Can't believe it's one of the first times they ever played it live. Number three, Sergeant Slaughter or JYD. Uh, I don't know what that is. Which, I don't know if that outs me as some sort of big ol' dummy. But I'm secure enough to let you all know I don't know what he means. Um, our friend Rye over at Sabbath Bloody Podcast says, Seattle Hotel, you can always go fishing. Hashtag Led Zepp. And I believe he's referring to the great mud shark, um, legend. Which if you don't know what that is, Google Led Zeppelin mud shark. And I'm sorry that you had to see or hear about any of that alright let's move along so there is this really great songwriter based out of New York her name is Sharon Van Etten and I'd heard of her for a long time because my friend Elise Davis who I respect and uh, who's one of my main writing partners she's been a big Sharon Van Etten fan forever and she's been saying to me we're on the road or we're writing Clint you gotta check the Sharon Van Etten chick out and my grumpy ass is always like "Yeah, yeah 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 do I and she's like um why are you saying that weird yeah she's like yeah I know what you like, I know what you don't like I think you're really gonna like her She's kind of like the best of this Patty Griffin meets this You know, she's got this rock thing But she's also like, you know She's very melodic And I'm going Yes, and do you? She's like, yes, I really think you'd like it Do you? Well, after years of that I was watching the new Twin Peaks Which I can't recommend highly enough The Twin Peaks season 3 that came out 25 years later Good God, that was a fucking journey and in every episode there's a there's a bar that takes place in this fictional land of Twin Peaks and there was always like a cameo by an artist playing live in this bar and the performances are great I mean Eddie Vedder does it they're they're very surreal and far out and Nine Inch Nails did one of them but anyway there's this chick I never I didn't recognize her voice or what she looked like and she's playing a song called Tarifa I went and got the, or like looked up the soundtrack or whatever waited for the credits and I went and Kind of figured out who it was based on the lyric and the song title. And sure enough, this motherfucker was Sharon Van Etten. So I bought this record. Um it's a record called Are We There, and it had that song that was featured on Twin Peaks called Terrafa. I'm not about to play you that song. The song I'm gonna be playing is a believe track two called Taking Chances, and uh I highly recommend her Sharon Van Etten. Here's Taking Chances from Are We There 2014. Enjoy, homies. You. Man, I love that song. I can already hear, uh, or maybe not, maybe I'm just projecting. But I can hear listeners of the radio show going, Oh God, play something that fucking rocks! There's some rock stuff coming up, I promise. I promise. I like to, hey, listen, I like to rock. I like to boogie. I like to get down. Okay? I promise. I also like to just mellow out, too, bro. Mellow out, dude. Dude, you're harsh on my goddamn mellow. Do hippies say goddamn? It seems like even if they were religious or not, they'd be like, nah, dude, we don't, we don't use harsh language, bro. I don't know what they do. I, don't, I try not to pay attention to what they do. Well, let's move right along here. Let's listen to some new music. Now, you've probably not heard this dude. His name is Danny Malone. He's an awesome bass singer-songwriter. I met him through my friendship with Bob. He's a very interesting dude. Um, very, very interesting to talk to. Smart, sweet, and a hell of a fucking songwriter. And he, uh, he's he got an interesting life, and he's, he's been a little drug-addled, and, you know, love lost, and he went to this castle and wrote this record, and came back from the castle and did more drugs, and he's... He's got a very interesting story, and his songs are, are just sort of mind-blowingly good. and Very personal in a way, but also he's really good at making a song very personal, but also using um, clever language and poetry to sort of detach you from it so it can be bigger than him. I'm not sure he intends to do that, but that is what is accomplished. Like, I kind of get lost in his songs, and even though I can tell they're very specific about what he goes through because I know him, I find myself sort of just putting my own personal details and all the empty slots for the emotional engine of the song. You know what I'm saying? You guys ever do that? Of course you do. You're just like me. I'm Lee and you're Lee and we've all together, Paul. Let's well, check this out. This is from a record called Balloons from 2015 I believe. No, 2013. And it's by Danny Malone. This song is called San Diego. German for Wales Vagina.
2: On the way to San Diego Never gonna get to play though Never gonna make it on time Well maybe I should tell the club that to see if they could push the setback. When suddenly the back of my mind it started running, started running, and I, I think I might've missed the sign. And I don't know what I was thinking. But suddenly the dash was sinking, and I was singing at the top of my. Try not to swallow my times Cause I'm just talking
1: San Diego by Danny Malone, the great Danny Malone. It's a record on the or the song on that record Balloons called Spider Legs that I almost played for you today, but I like that San Diego song cuz what's going on there? He's on his way to a gig and then he has a panic attack or something. And he's, he's never going to make it gigs in San Diego. He's just on the side of the road flipping out. Man. Uh Let's read a few more things from the old Instagram. They're kind of pouring in here. I want to make sure I can get to everyone. Uh, Andy Brown, good friend of the show, asks, what are... Oh, wow, just refresh, Sorry. What are you hoping to see in the Injustice for All box set? Um, I don't know, man. I mean, just what we've been getting, you know. I love all the behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, live shows at the time are fine with me, but we're starting to get, you know, from 88 and 89 on, their are live. Um, the touring of Metallica has been well-documented, so... Um, yeah some shows are cool any kind of behind the scenes of the making of the album would be interesting because that's just a window we don't have a lot of insight into but I generally trust uh, what they've been doing some great pictures and interesting booklets and all that stuff original lyrics and all that Brett Faz says talk about the remastering process of an album what it takes how true it is to the original whether you prefer remastered albums or original alright well some sorts of confusion about this so Remixing means that a producer and engineer went in and got all the different stems: the guitar solo, guitar crunchy, guitar clean, bass guitar, the tom-tom, the kick drum, the hi-hat, and we're able to just re EQ re-EQ and recompress all of those stems. A remix is truly a can potentially change the everything about a record. Remastering is different. Remastering is when you take the whole thing already mixed and you can manipulate compression levels and mild EQ levels, and, and you can k- keep the record at the same volume from song to song. If one song's kind of a big thrasher, but one song's a ballad, you can manage the volume so it's not a horrible mess to listen to. Uh, remasters of albums can be great. If it's a remaster of, like, Band of, Jimi Hendrix, Band of Gypsies, and remastering it with new technology really does make it sound better, then great. But if you're remastering records that really remastered well in the first place then it just really becomes a marketing tool to repackage and resell you the same album you've bought probably 10 times already so i would be weary of that so but you can kind of read about it like i i don't get too precious about that I'm not going to buy a remaster just because it's a remaster. But, like, I needed to get puppets on vinyl anyway. So whatever the last quote-unquote remaster was, I just bought that. It sounds fine to me. I have seen online where some people really complain about it. though the Ride the Lightning blackened repressing remaster clips at the... V-. I don't... I don't know. That's not for me. The minutiae of that's not for me. But Michael Wagner did say that. He's the dude who, uh, mixed, uh... Master Puppets and we had him on the show and he, he talked to, he was pretty adamantly against this whole remastering thing. What are they gonna remaster load and reload? A remaster of the black album? A remaster of hardwired? Doesn't need it. So F Grown ninety eight says, Clint, what's your favorite vinyl record album in your collection? He says, With that I mean the presentation of the sleeve and the disc itself visually. Love the show since the beginning, keep on with the great work. Thank you. I don't have any super valuable pieces. When I just, when I started to insert my entire collection into discogs, the pieces I learned that were valuable, I sold them. <laughs> I had a Tom Petty Wildflowers that I sold. I had a Ryan Adams British pressing of Heartbreaker that I did, had no idea were valuable. Sold them for hundreds of dollars that I then went and bought more vinyl with. Um, I, I take care of mine. Mine are pretty clean. So we've got some cool picture discs. Some, a, some, a good Slayer one for Show No Mercy, good Ginny Lewis one for Rabbit for a Coat. Um, the Tool Lateralis disc is really pretty. I've probably out of like my six hundred pieces, I've probably got seventy or so picture disc or like color, colored marble, vinyl. And I love them all equally. Edgar says Do you, is it, are you? And I can't answer those questions. Those are the great questions of the universe that I simply cannot answer. Kevin Van Damme says, What artist band song evokes the most emotion from you? Um, off the top of my head, and I don't know if this will bum some of you out or not, off the top of my head, that the answer to that would be Tool. The band Tool. They, uh, they move me intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, and the shit rocks. You can't fucking deny it. Uh, I'll prove it to you. I'll write it down. Uh, I'll do the math. Tool fucking rocks uh Danny los angeles says good day how do sending a smile to you let's jump into some more music here now i first met my current wife at a snow patrol concert in birmingham alabama i don't remember what year it was please don't make me do math and count back from my age um and the opening band for snow patrol i went to snow patrol because i had just gotten out of a relationship and it was pretty harrowing for me and a friend of mine was like oh let's go see snow patrol i could not have given two fucks about seeing snow patrol but the opening band was a band called Isley that I had heard of and thought I might like. This shows you anything what, time, what that time was like. I didn't go Google them or YouTube them or Spotify them. I had heard about them, probably read about them in a magazine. And a friend of mine had to drag me to a Snow Patrol show where the only thing that really got me to go is that I a band I had read about, this group of the siblings, this group of sisters from Tyler, Texas, who made beautiful um, Tolkien-esque be- uh, beatlesy melodic music if i hadn't read about that i might not have gone so I saw this band isley. they blew me away they get done playing during the changeover snow patrols crew are setting up their shit and i went over to the merch booth to try to say hey to these isley chicks and say oh my god you just blew me away and i wanted to buy their whatever record and i ended up meeting a girl in that line named Isabel, who went on to become my wife Now, what's crazy is we met that night, became fast friends, and got very close as friends. But I was uh, out of a relationship, and uh, she was in one. And so we couldn't really make it work because she was dating some dupe, some dipshit. And so I ended up meeting another lady who became my first wife. And we hung out. I still remained friends with Isabel. Although when I was married, we didn't see each other very much for obvious reasons. Tried to keep relationships appropriate and all that stuff. When my first wife and I split up, me and Isabel sort of organically reconnected as friends, and then we started dating, and now we're married and have a kid, and it's been a million years. And this is a song that reminds me of her, because I heard it for the first time that night that I met her. She was on the other side of the room, and uh, when you stop to think about all the small ways that your life could be so different, it's pretty humbling. And uh, so this is dedicated to my sweet wife, Isabel, who I love as much now as I, I did the first day I met her. This is a song by Isley called Memories. Enjoy. He
0: was throwing gra-
1: tell their siblings because that's this is a special quality to the harmonies in those voices when they sing together so beautiful let's jump back into some questions here there these are more than i thought there would be so um uh, but these are fun hey we're having fun hey we're having a good time we're having a good time i'm not going crazy i mean i'm going crazy but i'm not currently right now on the threshold of the void doing something, we're making something, we're having a conversation about music, about what's important. Okay, Dheim 620 says, I've been wondering for a while now if people donated enough money or if you sold a bunch of shirts, patches, etc., exclusively for the money, would you guys do a mini-tour thing and visit some bars near Metallica shows to do something similar to Detroit? Fans of the show could meet you guys and do enough of them and maybe you'll get on Metallica's radar. Just a thought. Um, I don't think... Yes, I mean... We were going to try to do that as much as we can. We're going to do it on the upcoming tour, Nashville, Louisville, and Birmingham, and then we're, we're trying to do Cincinnati and Albany. It's just going to depend on really timing. And we're lucky that we have Patreon supporters who would make any kind of travel for that possible. And so buying the merch definitely fucking helps. I mean, you know, especially the t-shirts, the patches, all that stuff is just, that all of this goes towards the, the big pot that makes the show great. And uh, we, put, we put all that we can back into the show. And um, in terms of getting on Metallica's radar, that's just not something we really ever wanted to do. If it happens, that's killer. If not, whatever. I don't think we did it to try to get close to them. We did it just to celebrate the band, celebrate uh, the fans of Metallica. And that's, that's what the ride's really been all about. So to me, like, the, the being freed up financially to travel and, like, hang at Metallica shows would have more to do, honestly with meeting other fans and fans of the show than trying to manipulate that into some sort of band interaction. And I don't even know if I want to meet those dudes, you know? Like, it's they're so important to me, and there's a purity to my relationship to their work that I kind of don't want to play with in a way of, like, being disappointed, which would be my fault, not theirs. They're human beings. I never pretended to be otherwise. But you know what I mean? Just, I don't know. You want to keep some distance, almost, in a way, right? You want to sort of protect this thing. Because how horrible would it be for some sort of other reason, some sort of bad meeting or bad hang or bad psychological deal? It just sort of started to mar and poison your enjoyment of these records. I don't want anything to do with that shit. So those are my general thoughts about that. It's a good question, though. Some more questions here. Beatles versus The Stones, Better Band and Why. Alright, I'll give you the Cliff's Notes on, on my opinion. And of course, just the opinion. I'm going Beatles all the way. Now, the Rolling Stones are one of the greatest blues rock bands of all time. But that's pretty much what they did. Some interesting kind of acoustic work. And they were, no doubt about it, great um, songwriters and guitar players. Now, the Beatles, when they wanted to dip into blues rock, wrote some of the best shit there is of that. Your blues would be a great example. But I think what tips the Beatles over the Stones is they were more than a blues rock band. You know, they were playing jazz music and maritime music and the future of pop music. And they were getting heavy and soft and delicate. Wrote the book on the ballad. They were innovating in the studio. They were innovating with the packaging of their artwork. They were innovative with with track listing and making actual concept records. Uh, They broke down barriers in almost every relevant way. What a band can do as a business, the mistakes bands can make. I mean, they're terrible contracts. How Apple, total the Apple project totally failed. What they did with media and sending Sergeant Pepper on the road, you know, sending the album on tour instead of the band. All this. There's so many ways in which the Beatles were, I believe, musically and culturally, more important than the Stones. So I'll say that. I know that that's a tough thing. I know some's got some Stones cats out there going. You friggin' butthole. Kyle Serafini asks, which metallic song holds the most sentimental value for you, which piece of music in general does? Uh, the Load and Reload records are the most sentimental records for me. And uh, the songs that just jump out to me, Unforgiven 2 and uh, Till It Sleeps, Bleeding Me, all, all the Load and Reload stuff. Uh, piece of music in general is m- most sentimental for me. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I have so many different feelings about so much different music. Good question, though. The Lugonjo says, Whatever happened to Kirk's flamenco-inspired Metallica riffs? He kept saying flamenco's an influence. I know during the Leader Load Reload era, he was studying kind of other... He was getting heavily into jazz and maybe some of that John McLaughlin flamenco stuff. I don't know. But what you do, really, when you get into stuff, if you're a true artist, is you got to try to find a way to distill it through your own voice. You, he, he's not learning flamenco so he can play a fucking flamenco solo on Thorn Within. He's learning flamenco to broaden his own musical scope so that he can then filter that through the the voice of Kirk Hammett for the band that is Metallica. So he may well have brought a lot of those influences into the music that we just can't hear. Maybe it's in fingering technique. Maybe it's in his alternate picking on his right hand. Maybe it's in how he thinks about approaching solos melodically from a modal or a scale standpoint. I don't know. Good question for Kirk though. Chelsea Bowen says, any recommendations for books you love lately? I've read, I've read some books lately. Yeah. Um, the last one I read was by Brent, uh, Brian Fritz called The Big Picture, The Future of Film, and it's kind of just about this new Marvel Cinematic Universe tentpole superhero bullshit sort of sucking up all the oxygen for mid-budget adult dramas, adult thrillers, adult comedies, and how you know the future of cinema is really going to depend on people who aren't afraid to not make Iron Man 17 and people who are going to be unafraid to invest money in a film that's not fucking The Avengers, Save the World Again, Part 15, do you? Is it? i oh, we've got to save the world again. Do you? Here's a question. If the world needs to be saved 18 times a year every year by fucking Spider-Man again, maybe we should just let it fucking burn. Maybe we don't deserve to be saved. Have those motherfuckers ever considered that? A little thing called natural selection. So, that was a good book. Um, I read a great book about horror movies in the 70s called Shock Value. That was a lot of. Fun. I've been reading a lot of movies about books. I read Pauline Kale The um, breakfast. I read Pauline Kale for fun. She was a great movie critic, um, kind of from the 70s through the 90s. Um, what else have I read I read So Let It Be Written by Mark Eglinton about James Hetfield I do not recommend that book I read uh, Rex Brown's book his Pantera tell-all I recommend it only as a source of uh, fascination and humor I'm reading a really great book called The Dread of Difference about uh, gender identity in horror movies kind of like a more academic study of that I did read um, I reread because I was just I hadn't read this in a long time. I was reading some Friedrich Nietzsche. And I read The Antichrist and Twilight of the Idols, which are some of the last pieces he wrote before he uh, went insane. So that's all interesting stuff that I'd recommend. I've read a few uh, new Woody Allen bios this year that I thought were really good. I don't know if I'd recommend them, though, because I don't know if any of you guys like Woody Allen. But those are the books that spring to mind. Um, I'll do one more of these. We'll get back to some music. Favorite song off Death Magnetic. Mine is either That Was Just Your Life or Unforgiven 3. Tough question, but for those of you who have been following the show, it might not surprise you to learn that that song is Judas Kiss, followed very closely by All Nightmare Long. Now let's get into some new music. You guys have been wondering where the fucking rock is, and I'm here to tell you it's been up your butts. No, it's just been right here. This is uh, my favorite track from the newest Ghost record, entitled Prequel which came out this year. Ghost is a band that shows no signs of stopping at being badasses. And uh, this song is no different. Enjoy Faith from Prequel. Here is Ghost. I couldn't help but notice the uh, old maniacal laughter in there. It's one of the funniest things in music to me is maniacal laughter because what you don't hear or see or think of is all the like all the takes it spent getting it right. <laughs> Wait, sorry. Let me start over. Hold on. <clears throat> Fuck, that was not good either. All right, we still rolling tape. Yo, we still rolling? Okay. Uh, Maniacal after take three. Nah, came in too weird. Started too weird. Let's start lower and then work our way up.
0: Okay.
1: Oh no, It sounded like you were dying. Wasn't scary at all. Let's keep going. Take five. Fast forward, by the way, seventeen hours later. It's taken them all day. Take
0: 117.
1: (laughs) Welcome back to Melody Podcast Radio. This is your host, Clint Wells. We've been just listening to some songs that I like. The format is simple. I like good songs. I put good songs on metal of your podcast radio. You listen to good songs. These become your 10 favorite songs of all time. You buy these records. Your life is transformed. You thank me in a personal, handwritten letter written with a quill pen. You also send me a singing telegram and a gift basket. You send me a lovely gift basket as a way to say thank yous for my new favorite songs. I thought I knew all my new favorite songs. I didn't know who does this. Who goes through their whole life sleepwalking, doesn't know what their favorite songs are? Who needs a Metal Happy Podcast radio DJ to tell them who this is who you are? These are your new favorite songs. Who does this? Apparently it's me. I do this. I never knew what my favorite song was. Until Clint played this, the love song by the lovely ghost. He dresses up like the Pope. Yes, we get it. He doesn't like the Pope. But you know what? He plays a good song. All I care about are good songs. I try not to judge. Let the song do the talking. I don't care what he's like in his personal life. As long as he's good to his mother and the song is good. Now speaking of good songs, I found this chick named Chelsea Wolfe, who I'm about to play a song for you. And uh, she, she wasn't on my radar. Some, I think a friend brought her up or I read about her and uh, found her on the YouTube and then went and bought this record. The first song I ever saw of her. Is a song called Simple Death. There's a great performance of it at Hellfest 2017, which then sent me to her record called Abyss, which came out in 2015. And uh, this is a song called Simple Death, and I like it quite a lot, and I hope you dig it too. Check it out, Chelsea Wolfe. Simple Death. Well, if that song doesn't brighten your day, I don't know what will. I do not know what will. Lovely song, though. Lovely lady. Chelsea Wolf. Simple Death. Again, from the album Abyss. Now, that's from what I've... I bought a few of her records. I've got a couple on vinyl, actually. What I've been able to deduce from her 2015's Abyss is a little different because it's kind of more electronic. 808 kicks and snares and 99s and... Uh, than the more organic stuff. But they still got electric guitars in it. And her great voice. And all these stacked harmonies. And super fucking weird lyrics. Which I like weird lyrics. Alright let's answer a few more questions here. Kevin Van Dam again asks. Do I join any movie soundtracks? Um, I don't know. Not really off the top of my head. I love The Phantom of the Paradise. There's a 1974 I believe film. By Brian De Palma. It's a musical called The Phantom of the Paradise. With music mostly written by Brian Williams who also plays the villain in the movie. Oh my God, you guys got to see this movie. It's pre carry obviously pre-Scarface. I did a thing a few years ago where um, if you really love something, a medium, a film or a band, or for me it was a director in this case, one way of um, exploring that thing that you love is to just burn down the whole, in that case, filmography. So I watched every Brian De Palma film from uh, in consecutive order couple years ago. It was sort of a project through the year. And I found that a rewarding process in many different ways. But um, I was able to see all these great De Palma films that were never on my radar. One was The Phantom of the Paradise. There's a great song on there called Old Souls. There's a great song called Faust. Uh, It'd be fun to do a future episode on favorite soundtrack songs. But other than that, I can't really think of many soundtracks. I mean, you could probably name them and I'd be like, oh shit, yeah, but... Nothing really pokes out. I had the Wayne's World 2 soundtrack. I had the Bodyguard soundtrack. Soundtracks used to be a bigger deal because the songs would be exclusive to them. So you'd have to get the, the goddamn Scream 2 soundtrack to get the bonus version of Dave Matthews' band, Help Myself. Which I did do that. With those exact, that exact movie and that exact band. That exact song. Yeah, I mean, if you wanted to hear Red Hot Chili Peppers doing uh, Love Roller Coaster... You had to get the Beavis and Butt-Head to America soundtrack. No other fucking options, motherfucker. Spotify? What? Excuse me? What word did you just say? Um, Spotify? Never fucking heard of it. It's a future word that doesn't mean anything yet. Sp- Spongafly? No, Spotify. What is that? You basically look on the internet for any song you want, and you don't even have to pay for it. Most people don't have the paid service of it, but then you can then listen to literally any song in the world. This is what I'm telling you as I'm opening the Beavis i Do America soundtrack when I'm like eight years old. I'm going, "Um, nothing you're saying makes any sense on any fucking level. And the future ghost you is like, yeah, but it's harder to explain than I thought it'd be. And the eight-year-old you is going, yeah, it sounds like complete bullshit. I love this conversation happening between our eight-year-old selves and us now. Trying to explain fucking Spotify. Having said that, I don't know of any other soundtracks I can think of, although I'm sure they're there. plain, plain Waver says, where's Paul? Don't know. Paul? Paul, you in the bathroom? He's not in the bathroom of this hotel. Uh, Grappa12345 says... I always wonder if being on tour and basically playing the same stuff every night somehow sucks out the excitement of playing live, or does it depend on other factors? Totally depends. Um, When I played with Bob Schneider, we rarely played the same set. We never played the same set twice. And on my first tour of them, pretty much every night we played at least two or three songs I'd never heard. And that's because he's an artist that's very in the moment. He likes to be in the moment. He likes to decide what to play based on the crowd. Now, if we're touring a record cycle, and there's five or six that hover, and then he's got some some crowd-pleasers and some hits that can't go unplayed. But in between all that is about 15 songs, so for him, it's very moment-driven. Now, I do thrive off that kind of creative work. You really have to listen to your band, you have to listen to the artists, and you have to be willing to go wherever they lead you. And all of that is... Real good sauce for creative expression and for growing as a human being. So, all right. So there's that. Now, the thing I do currently with Rodney is we play the same exact show every day because, you know, we're playing to two, three or four thousand people. And, you know, he has eight or nine really big hits. And those hits kind of like tell the story that a lot of his fans identify with. So we play a show every night as if that's the first or last time someone's going to see us play. And there's just something really comfortable about that. And there are little moments, there are solos here and there where we can step out and be creative. At the end of the big last song we play, we usually do like Love Gun by Kiss. We throw that in there. Lately, I've been throwing in Cold Gin just to surprise the band. We do this whole thing of Inner Sandman in the middle. So we've built in moments where we can stretch and whatever, be artistic, whatever. But really what I like about it is, well, we're here to do a fucking job. These people paid for the ticket let's give them the best of what we got. Let's make sure it's real tight. There's not a lot of curveballs. There's not a lot of what are they going to do next? And I think that has its own merits too. And I think our fans, particularly in country music, really appreciate that. They're not they're not looking to go on some sort of fucking esoteric ride with you through the back catalog of your career. You know. They're just not. They want to hear the songs that they've heard on the radio that they play when they're you know, on their tractors out in the on the fucking field, when they're on a boat with their friends, all that stuff, all those cliches are actually true, and uh, so that's what I have to say about that, I can see the merits on both sides, keep it loose, awesome, great, keep it tight, awesome and great too, Pyro Wes, who is doing, uh, he actually works on Metallica's crew now, I believe in the tuning room, says Clint, do you think we will be friends when we meet, I'm already kind of over Ethan Luck, he's obviously joking, because Ethan's such a sweetheart, as you all know, uh pyro west i imagine that we will be friends now what would be the kind of friends that hang out one-on-one that's the real question right why wouldn't you be friends with anybody these days it's easy to be friends just be cool oh yeah what's up dude and you could we could be acquaintances who either hug when we meet each other or shake when we meet each other now just because we hug when we see each other at a party does that mean we're going to hang out one-on-one for coffee i don't think it's guaranteed You may send me a Christmas card of you and your kid and your, do- your dog, Lucy. I may send you a Christmas card of me and my kid and, and our solstice tree. Does that mean we're going to hang out one-on-one and have coffee and talk about what really matters in life? Hmm, hard to tell. At this juncture, it's really hard to tell any of that. But I'm optimistic because any friend of Ethan's is me amigo. Jeb 134 says What bands did you not get to see That you wish you had What bands have you not seen That you want to still Also Paul I uh, Still have not seen Radiohead Or U2 Or Paul McCartney So those are some Real glaring Sinister omissions In my live concert experience Folder File if you will That they look at Up in the heavians but, uh, Bucket list bands Of course be anyth- any, Really anything in the 70s Randy Newman in the 70s No, no matter which show Elton oh, John in the 70s. Literally pick any show and put me there. Sabbath. Zeppelin. Pink Floyd. Fleetwood Mac. Put me anywhere in there. God, please. Lord. Speaking of the Lord, let's wrap, let's wrap this up with some evil shit. You guys sat through the Chelsea Wolf thing. I know that was a bit of a... <laughs> Unless you were emotionally tapped into what was going on there, in which case you were probably like, This is the best shit ever. Which is what I sang when I first heard Chelsea Wolf. But fuck all that noise. Let's talk about some Lunar Satan. Here is track two from the Lunar Satan Project Howl Like a Wolf and a Witch Will Open the Goddamn Door. This is a song called Set the Witch on Fire again. Turn this shit up. What was brought upon me be returned to you by three. That's a real witch's spell. I mean, witches aren't real, but that's a real spell that they think is real. But that was fun. Again, from the forthcoming original Lunar Satan Project, Satan in Space, that was set the witch on fire again from How Like a Wolf and a Witch Will Open the Door. Heavy Metal Football on Twitter asks, given the life, the love you have for metal, did you ever consider being a metal player going full into it? I never did. I never thought that's all I'll do. I always, um, I've always loved different kinds of music and always enjoyed making it. Now, I'm relieved that when I do want to get the lead out, as they say, that when I sit down to uh, write a Lunar Satan song, it still feels very natural to write a song like that. The metal is still deep inside. But I also you know, am very happy that uh, I've got a lot of tools on the tool belt and I can express myself creatively in a lot of different ways. And the older I get, the uh, more pluralistic I feel about music. And uh, yeah, that's how that's how I feel about that. That's a good question. We've got a few more questions. One just came in on Instagram that I thought was very good. I wanted to read it. Our friend John Dugan too says you get Papa ahead and Lars one on one. Two questions per founding member. What are they? Now that's a great question. And this is just off the top of my head. I'm sure if I'm sure if we really booked the boys for an for an interview, of course we'd be a lot more studious with the questions. But this is just off the top of my head. Now, what I'd want to do with each of them is much the way that John Lennon did with one of his last major interviews in 1980 with David Sheff, the Playboy interviews, uh, is he did basically one or two sentences on every song they'd ever written. So I'd want to get James and Lars separately to just give me one sentence or two, just off the top of their head, reaction to every song on their studio albums wouldn't take as long as it sounds like it might and i'd be particularly interested to hear both of their opinions on the load and reload era so i imagine that would take up one of my two questions for the the homies what i would want to ask lars about is during saint anger when james went off to rehab and he wasn't even communicating with lars they were having to communicate through kirk basically about what james was up to how long he might be if and when and if he might ever come back to Metallica. Now, in those few months where they were still sort of slogging away on St. Anger but didn't really know if it would ever come out, They just Bob Rock being the great producer he is, kept them thinking creatively, doing work with Phil, etc. But Lars had to have been thinking, what am I going to do if this is it for Metallica? Because you know all Lars Ulrich in 23, let alone now, wasn't about to fucking retire being a player in the conversation about music and culture. So I wonder about what he really thought his backup plans were going to be. Because you know, somewhere deep in that mind, he had a ba- he was formulating a black, a, ba- a black album plan, a backup plan. And I'm just curious what that might have been. Now that we have uh, his Beats radio show that's electric with Lars, it's pretty good. I mean, that could be a future for him. He certainly doesn't need the money. But like most great artists, it isn't about the money. So was he going to start another band? Would that band have been any good? Maybe he was going to start a thing. Maybe maybe he started something thing with Jason Newstead. Maybe he would dive even harder into the art world. Maybe he would, would have taken up being an artist. I don't know. That's a question I'd ask him. A question for James Hetfield would be, um, I would probably want to finger him the most on this whole base on justice thing. Because what I am most curious about is why he or Lars weren't present for the tracking and recording of the bass, or for or being held accountable, 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 being held accountable, corpse, and accountable for the lack of bass uh, in the mixes when they were getting, surely they were getting rough mixes and having to make notes. So, that's just off the top of my head. Those are the questions I'd ask. That ends the, uh, the portion on the questions, I believe. I won't look at my phone anymore. Now... Um I just wanted to say thanks to everyone who listens to your Podcast Radio, everyone who listens to and supports the show uh proper every Monday morning, a new episode on the Great Metallica with my homie Ethan Luck. Um we appreciate everyone who listens. We're real grateful for you all. Hope you like the radio episode. Write in and let us know what you'd like to hear on Metal Up Your Podcast Radio. We are gonna do an episode soon where all of you who make music out there in Metal Up Your Podcast land send us in some music you're making. I'll pick the ten of them that, that I want to put on the show, and I'll do a whole episode on that. it be a really fun, interactive way to uh, keep the Metal Up Your Podcast radio train rolling. And with that, I'm going to get the hell out of here from somewhere in a hotel room in Seattle, Washington. This is Clint Wells, your host of this edition of Metal Up Your Podcast radio. Stay safe, keep it tight, peace, and adios.